Hi, this is Dr. Karen Horton from Johns Hopkins. This talk is a little different than my other talks. What I'm going to be doing here is discussing some issues in um, patient satisfaction and how to run your department. And basically this comes from a series of talks that we had at Hopkins. And we had a retreat at Hopkins a couple of years ago. And in that retreat, Dr. Fishman and I were on this group that looking at patient satisfaction. What can we do to improve our patient satisfaction, like customer satisfaction, and we decided that we would bring in some outside speakers to talk to us that really weren't in the medical field, certainly not in radiology, and learn a little bit about customer service and how they run their businesses and how they give excellent customer service, and not just customer service, how do they engage their employees and how do they treat their employees, and we thought that we could use that and get some lessons to help us in our department. So this is called the Patient Experience in Radiology, Lessons Learned from Leaders Outside of Radiology. So we had a series so far of 10 talks. This is in 2014, 2015, and these are all very, very successful people outside of medicine. Um, everywhere from you know CEOs of hotel chains to chefs and I'll go through each one and I'll describe a little bit about their philosophy and the lessons that we've learned from each of those that we are going to apply to our practice here. So we'll start with Paul Greenberg. So he was the former president of SFX Entertainment, CEO of College Humor Media and president of Time Incorporated. So very, very successful, really entrepreneur who has been involved with many companies. And he came and spent the day with us and gave us a talk. Now for each of these, I'm gonna give you the quote from them that I felt was most powerful and most useful. So Paul Greenberg says, only do what only you can do. And so as leaders in, you know, at Hopkins and in our practices, I think that's important for us to embrace. You need to be able to get the best people to do the jobs, but you as a leader in your organization don't have to do anything. So you need to do what only you can do and the other things that you need to delegate. Some of the lessons that um, I took away from his talk was, first of all, he says, hire people smarter than you. And I totally agree with that. A lot of people don't do that. You'll see many people who get... Um, tend to hire people who aren't as smart as them. They're, they feel threatened when other people in the room. At Hopkins, it's very easy to get a group of people who are smarter than you because people here are brilliant. So you want to go for the smartest person that you can get, even if they're smarter than you, and put them in the right position. You have to trust them to do their jobs appropriately. You need to spend time, you as a leader, doing the things that only you can do. So he was saying how strategizing. They, you know, he spends his time having the strategy for the business. Where is the business going? He's really functioning at a very high level, not getting bogged down in the details. He spends his time communicating the strategy, make sure everybody in his department or in his business knows exactly where the business is going. That's important. I think as physicians, we don't do a lot of a communication with our employees and even the other radiologists. What is the mission? Where are we going? Everybody has to be on the same page of what your department is going to be doing. Again, it's all about the hiring. He says you, you can't even get to customer satisfaction if you don't have employees that are high-quality high employees that are engaged and happy. So you want to put a lot of effort in who you hire. As physicians in our department, I think we don't do that. I mean, we spend a little bit of time when we're hiring other physicians, but a lot of the radiologists I know aren't involved in hiring the technologists or even the administrative staff. That's 
ridiculous. You have to be involved at that level. You want to have the highest quality technologists. You want to have the highest quality administrative staff helping you. So you have to get involved at that level. So again, he says, hire people smarter than you. Put the people in the right place and train them to do what you need them to do. This one I love. Fire people who are not doing their jobs. They always tell me at Hopkins it's impossible to fire somebody. It is not impossible, and it's something that you have to be committed to doing. You, you can't keep negative people around and year after year. You have to have the right people, so you're going to have to put effort in hiring the right people and getting rid of people who just aren't working. You as a leader then need to get these people in place and remove any obstacles that are keeping them from succeeding. So you're not doing the daily detail. You're hiring the people supporting them, getting rid of the bad people, and then your support means removing obstacles that keep them from doing their job every day. And then you as a leader of your group, you need to ensure that you have the money, right? So you, you, if you are a leader of your group where you're working, you need to be at the highest level and you yourself have to be involved with the hiring of the people. Okay, so that was the lesson from Paul Greenberg. Our next speaker was Ed Catmull. You guys might recognize him because he's the president of Walt Disney Animation Studios. He's president of Pixar, and he has his best-selling book, which I really recommend, called Creativity. You need to read that. So what does Ed Catmull say? He really talks about creativity, and he says the hallmark of healthy creativity is that people feel free to share their ideas, opinions, and criticism. Lack of candor, if unchecked, ultimately leads to a dysfunctional environment. He really is all about honesty. And if you read his book, it's very powerful that you need to have people be honest with you. So he makes up the point, especially as you move up in leadership positions, that stupid and dumb things are happening all the time in any organization, including your radiology practice. But you don't really recognize most of it until they become a huge problem. It's because the higher you move in an organization, you see less and less of the problems because people aren't willing to speak to you candidly. They aren't willing to tell you what's going on. They behave differently around you and stop dealing with you in a natural way. So you never really have a grasp of what's really happening and the issues that are out there because you're only really seeing the very tip of the iceberg as you move up the chain because people are not honest with you at this point. So what he's saying that your organization has to empower people to be honest and to say what's on their mind. It's critical, especially if you're in a area that you need creativity and you need innovation. Anybody should be able to voice their opinion. You don't have to worry about chains of commands, right? So you, sh you shouldn't have an organization where the lowest man on the totem pole can't talk to the highest man or woman on the totem pole, right? Everybody has to be honest and you don't necessarily have to go through a certain channel or a certain chain of leadership. Everybody should say what they're saying. He says that you have the greatest ideas and innovation should come from anywhere. It should be collective brain power throughout the organization and that candor is essential. I really took this to heart because it says he says it's dangerous when everybody in the meeting is afraid to speak up. That actually that there's more honesty outside the conference room than in the conference room. If you're in a position like that you're, it's going to be very easy to fail because you're not going to understand what's really going on. So you have to surround your people who are honest and are not afraid to disagree with you. You have to be willing for somebody to say you're wrong. 
And that makes the difference between a truly spectacular organization and the average organization where everybody's afraid to say something to the boss, especially, or the technologists are afraid to say something to the radiologist because you don't have that culture of honesty and candor. Mistakes should be accepted, especially if you make mistakes early, right? You want to be where all the mistakes come to you so you can fix them early. It's kind of like if you're going to fail, you want to fail early, right? You don't want to be so far along that the mistake is now critical to your mission. You want to find the mistakes early, and that means you have to encourage honesty in the people that work with you. Next was Horst Schultz. He was one of my favorites. He was the head of uh, the Ritz-Carlton, president of the Ritz-Carlton, you know, known for excellent customer service. So I knew when he came to speak with us that we would learn a lot of lessons. How does he give excellent customer service in a hotel? You might say, well, what does that have to do with a hospital or radiology practice? It has a lot to do with it. And he was very honest. Like he says, all too often when he speaks to people, including radiologists or physicians, they would say they totally disregard what I say under the misguided belief that their industry, meaning radiology, is different than the hotel industry. He says that it is not any different and that we both share the primary goal of serving the customer. He really drew a lot of parallels between the hotel business and our radiology department. And every time we came up with an excuse, he would say, that's an excuse, it's the same thing. So for example, he mentioned that Hopkins Radiology is composed of some of the best physicians in the world who probably know more about medicine and radiology than our competitors, but that doesn't necessarily matter if you're not giving good customer service. If you don't understand how to optimize the service to your customers, all that medical knowledge in the world doesn't matter to them if they have a bad experience. So the three things for customer service, whether you're in the hotel industry or whether you're running a radiology outpatient imaging center, number one, timely service. People don't want to wait, especially young people. He brought up the fact that they're in the old days, the average person, you know, in the 50s and 60s when he was in the hotel business in the Ritz-Carlton, 60s and 70s, people would wait an average of four minutes before they got antsy. Younger people now, the millennial generation, they won't wait a minute. People do not want to wait, myself included. Why is it acceptable to sit in the waiting room to get your x-ray and have to sit there for an hour? It's not acceptable. It's just we, we assume that it has to be that way in radiology, but it doesn't. There's no difference. So timely service, you've got to address that. People should not be waiting in your waiting rooms. You have to have a good product, okay? Hopefully we're, we have a good product, but patients don't quite understand the full product. Do they really know that you have a world-class radiologist in the back room, subspecialized, multiple fellowships reading their scan? They don't see that part. They're judging you based on how long they're waiting, right? How clean your facility is. Did they go to the bathroom and it was dirty? Those things are important to them. They can't necessarily appreciate your role as a radiologist. And also, they want to be treated well. It's extremely important, but often overlooked. All the details of their experience, you have got to pay attention to because they're judging you on that. Like I said, if, you're, if they have to pay $6 to park, if the parking attendant is rude to them, if your front staff is not nice, this all matters to the patient actually more than who's reading their scan. So I found that that was an eye-opener for us. He also says, although we always say what's good for the customer, what's good for the customer, and that's in fact why we had him speak, it became clear to us that we can't always focus on the customer. We have to 
focus on the employees. Again, hire the right people. He spends an enormous amount of time before he hires somebody. It's not just a 10-minute interview with three people. They fill out personality surveys. They interview them over and over because they are not hiring a person for a job. They're hiring a member of the team. Like he even says, a member of our family. We need to know it's the right people who we can work with, who have excellent standards. They want somebody who's happy at their job, enjoy being there. He says if you have employees that are there to get a paycheck and don't care and are unhappy, that's going to be very difficult to run a good business. So he spends a lot of time hiring people. And again, like we heard from Paul Greenberg, he gets rid of the people who don't fit. You have to be committed to doing that. You want employees who love their job. I'm sure where you work, you have these type of people. They enjoy coming to work. They're engaged. They're happy. If you have a happy employee, you will have a happy customer. At the Ritz-Carlton, he was the one who came up with the saying, we're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. How do you expect your staff to treat the patients with respect if you don't treat your staff with respect? And I think that that was the biggest message that I took home from that. You have got to treat your employees well, make sure you have happy, engaged employees. And also he brings the point saying that the success of your organization, you have to have leaders, not managers. Okay, You have got to get people who will lead and can problem solve, take responsibility, don't have excuses. Not just managers with a lack of drive and covering up mistakes and things like that. So I think that those, even though it's the hotel business, we could definitely apply those to our radiology practices. Now we'll shift gears a little bit. Our next speaker was Eric Becker. He's basically a venture capitalist. So he's a co-founder of Sterling Partners. So that's basically venture capital. So he has a lot of experience running businesses. And what he said that I really liked was, what are you tolerating but you shouldn't be? I'm sure immediately you can think of many things where you work where this is applicable to. For some reason, either bad behavior, dirty bathrooms, you know, long waits, we just seem to tolerate, but we shouldn't. So he really taught us to take a new look at what you're doing and fix the problems that you have. He says, follow the customer, go where the patients are, target um, those making the decisions about healthcare. People vote with their feet. So if you're trying to encourage or trying to build up your business, you've got to be out there. You've got to be meeting the customer. Right? You have to go where the customers are. You can't just keep doing what you're doing and think that you know, you're know you going to get the patients. Human performance drives outcomes. Again, you see the same thing. Invest in your employees. You've got to have good, your job, especially as you move up in a group and become a leader in your group, your job is easier if you have good employees. Then you can work at your highest level. You have to help your employees to be successful. He also mentions about the work environment. I think that's often overlooked, especially in radiology, because you're kind of in the basement, you're in the back, you're in a dark reading room where your employee is working. But the work environment is critical to the happiness and healthiness, uh, the he healthfulness of your employees. So you want to make sure that the work environment is nice, that it's collaborative, right? At Hopkins, we're spread out over a mile. All of our offices are spread out. There isn't a common area where we get together. You'll see in successful businesses now, if you look at Twitter, Google, all that, part of it's because they're millennials and they're young people, but also they realize 
you got to get people together. Steve Jobs was saying that too. He built that building. He wanted people to see each other. He wanted everybody to eat in the same location. Why is that? Because that's where ideas come up. That's how you meet people and talk. If you're all in your little offices and never see each other, you're not going to be in a creative environment. We need to spend time to organize our workspace and make it a nice place to work where people can see each other. What are we tolerating that we shouldn't be? Poor performance. 100%, I guarantee wherever you work, you have some people who have poor performance and you certainly have some people with negative attitudes. Every single one of these successful people said you have got to deal with these problems and you have got to get rid of people who are negative. Sure, you need to train people and you know counsel people and things like that, but we all know there's some people that are not gonna change. You simply have to move them out of your organization. This feeling of helplessness. You don't wanna have an environment where people say, why should I work harder? I don't see any benefit. Why should I read more scans? Why should I do this? Why should I do this? You have to make a place where they buy in and realize why you're working together and that they see the benefit from what they're doing. Commit to getting rid of negative employees and underperforming employees. Same theme from one speaker to the next. Marla Kaplowitz, she's a CEO of a media firm. So this is MEC of North America. And what she says, and I touched on it from one of the other speakers, is people, then products, then clients. So this is very interesting for physicians and people in the medical field, because you would always say the patient comes first. And I could see why we would say that, but after listening to her talk, I realized that that may not be right. You should maybe first focus on your employees. Again, how do you expect your employee to be courteous, caring, and helpful if you don't treat your employees that way. Okay. So she talks a, a lot about focusing on your employees. If you have good employees and hire the right people, they're gonna naturally give excellent customer service. To do something new requires strength as a leader and she really made huge changes in her company over the years. She really focused a lot on happiness of her employees and this might sound a little Silly, even me, I'm not like a kumbaya person, but after this, I really understood the importance of that. You need to make sure that your employees are happy. If your employees are happy, they come to work on time. They're happy to pitch in. They're happy to work late. They're happy to go the extra mile because they're happy doing their job. And she really addressed the negativity in the office. So she had people come in who talked about happiness, showed them how to be happy. How do you focus on the positive things? You're not gonna change anybody, everybody, but if you change a few people, the very negative people tend to stand out because the other people don't tolerate that negativity anymore if you really focus on making your employees happy. She says that happiness drives success of the business. It drives creativity, productivity, and retention of staff. You will have employees for a lifetime if they enjoy working for you. She also says happiness can be learned, that it's a choice. So they have courses. And she talks about, we often talk about balancing home life and work life. And she felt that it shouldn't really be a balance, like walking a tightrope, where at some point you feel like you're going to fall, or juggling, where at some point the balls definitely fall. That it should be surfing, and that you should, in certain times of your life or certain times of the year, maybe your business takes priority. And other times of the year, your home life is a little bit more important. And that the staff have to learn to surf through their life and 
and you know to counteract the work life with the home life but not necessarily balancing or juggling which brings up that negative connotation that something has to give that staff needs to feel gratitude. She often starts a meeting and says, what are we thankful for? What are the good things that are going on in the office? And that's very different than how we run most of our meetings where we focus on negative things. Nurture positive relationships, learn optimism, avoid or eliminate the negative people. We all have incredibly negative people in our organization. You either have to get rid of them. If you can't get rid of them, then you have to make sure the other people are so happy that these people stand out like a sore thumb and are less likely to say negative things at meetings or in conferences because the other the culture is changed and that she makes the point that a happy culture attracts happy people once you start to get that environment you get a very different class of people who want to work with you next was Cindy Wolf and she is an executive chef she has many restaurants in Baltimore here you know very top-notch successful restaurants. I thought it might be interesting to hear her point of view and she and her family had also been patients here at Hopkins so she had a connection and could tell us some of the things that she thought would be valuable for us to hear. So she makes the point that we're both in the business of ensuring the happiness and comfort of our customers or our patients and in that way she says there's a clear parallel between the restaurant business and the healthcare business. So for example she says that our customers in the restaurant have high expectations. They never forget the customer expectation. They control every part of the customer experience, from the lady answering the phone to make the reservation, top-notch, happy, positive people. When they first opened their restaurant, they had an issue with the valets. What they did, they hired their own valets, okay? Because they're being judged at every part of the patient experience. Uh, the customer experience from the picking up the phone until they leave the restaurant. Same with us. How much time do you as a radiologist spend on who parks the cars or what your parking lot looks like or what your cafeteria looks like or how long the patient's waiting or God forbid the scheduler on the phone which might be somebody nasty. We tend to stay in the back and she makes that point you cannot ignore a single element of the patient's experience. You, if you're in a private practice group or in academics, you have to get involved as a leader and a radiologist in all parts of that patient experience. Take, she says, like in the restaurant business, you have to take care of the front of the house, not the, just the back of the house. Me as a radiologist, I can't be back in my little dark reading room and not involved in what's happening, who's scheduling the patient, how are they treating, what does the waiting room look like, all those things you're being judged on. So you have to, as a radiologist and as a leader in your group, be involved in that part. You have to be involved in the front of the house. Every patient should feel like their most important person in the room. She does that at a restaurant and she says often in hospitals, including her experience here, she didn't feel like she was the most important person. There's a big rating room with a bunch of sick people. She just felt like she was one of a group, a crowd of people, that she wasn't the important. Lots of people are in her, her restaurant, but each one feels like somebody's paying attention to them. That clearly has to do with your staff, your nurses, your technologists, all those people have to be trained the same way she trains the restaurant staff. And we always say, well, it's Hopkins is different. We said that to the Ritz-Carlton people. We have a different quality of people. We hire from the inner city. This restaurant is a mile away from us. We have a Ritz-Carlton in Baltimore, too. They're not bringing in staff from other places. They're actually hiring the same type of people. 
they're just doing a better job of hiring the happy people and the confident people, and then they're training them well. Uh, at Hopkins, we have this problem all the time with the bathrooms, with cleaning, you know, around the hospital, around the institution. And then I find out with our cleaning staff, they basically show up on the first day, somebody gives them a mop and says, go clean. They never even train them how to clean. I guarantee at these restaurants and these hotels, these people are how to train. They have a list of all the things they need to clean, everything they need to do. So just hiring people isn't good enough. You have to put a big effort into training them well, right? You, they pay them well. They never scream or embarrass them. They would never humiliate an employee, never highlight the corrections in front of the public or you know, in front of the patients. And if you get good employees, you promote within. You will have an employee for lifetime if you treat them well. Okay, now we're going to move on to Dr. Freeman Habowski. He's the president of UMBC, and so that's a university here in Maryland. Excellent um, education, at low cost. It's you know basically kind of like a, a county university, and they have had incredible success in attracting excellent students and having high graduation rates and really a focus on education and one of his focuses is on diversity because he makes the point that you need diversity of thought. It isn't just having a diversity of race, religion, all those things. The reason why you want that is because you want diversity of thought. Um, he also makes the point that the only thing worse than being blind is actually having eyes but not knowing what you're seeing. And that seeing is the key to changing culture. Everybody says, we can't change culture, right? We, this is just the way it is at my practice. We're not like those other people. You are, you just have to be committed to changing the culture where you are. So he makes a point of running an educational institution isn't that much different than a medical department in the hospital because they're both vital in, uh, industries. They both have outcomes nowhere near as good as they should be right? We always brag how good we are, but when you look at infection rates in hospitals, all these things that we chart now, hospitals are not as good as they should be. Um, and that we're both the education in the United States as well as hospitals are looking how to improve their performance, right? So now there's a lot of focus in reform and changing these industries, which is easier said than actually doing it. He um, said that we must adjust and focus our department and hospitals on the customers. Again, it's the same theme. You have to go back to the patients. In his, in his line of business, he has to focus on the students. You have to respond to what the students really need. The way we taught students 50 years ago is not the way that we teach them now. A lot of stuff needs to be online. He said that they listen to the students, the libraries with a bunch of little cubicles and carols like there were when I was in college, that's not how these people um, respond. It's not how they work today. They want to be collaborative. They want open spaces where they see each other. They can work as a group, big tables, you know, things like that. This is how education has changed, and you need to respond to that. So take the time to look at your department's culture. Put yourself in the shoes of the patient. You should walk the entire way that the patient does. See what it looks like. What's their experience? What do they see? Who do they interact with? Try to figure out what barriers you're placing in front of your patients and what changes you can make. And really listen to the patient. And we're starting to do these patient groups where we actually have real patients come in and tell us what they thought of their experience and what we could have done better. It will really make you a stronger and a healthier place. Too often our attempt, uh, attempt to make changes in our departments and improve the patient experience is focused on opinions or 
anecdotes rather than on data. He looks at data. You need to get the data. Not just one person says we need to do this or need to do that. You really have to look objectively about the changes that you need to be, be made by gathering the data and taking a quantitative approach. And we're all scientists and we should appreciate that approach. Okay, Bill Phillips, he's the Vice President and Editor-in-Chief of Men's Health Magazine. So this is a health magazine. So there's some, you know, um, parallels between healthcare and these health magazines. So he reaches out to a lot of people. What he says is serve the reader and then never forget step one. So again, you're serving the patient, never forget that in what you're doing. When you look at Healthcare Magazine, it's really a huge success story. So 14 million people read it every month in the United States, 18 million in more than 65 countries, 12 million go to the website, 6 million follow them on social media. Um, so it's very, very successful in giving health advice. And that's because they go where the customers are going. So for instance, they have gyms. They have a radio show. They're on social media. And in, in the next speaker, I'll talk to you a little bit about social media. Why is hospitals and ra even radiology groups, why are we not on social media? All these young people, they're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. You need to manage your kind of digital presence in order to attract these people because that's what they expect. They don't like the old-fashioned way, calling up, showing up, reading a brochure in the mail. They want to go to your website. Maybe they schedule their own appointment. They want their information through their phones. And we need to pay attention to that. So you actually have to respond to the patients, especially the younger patients. How do they want their information? Health isn't just a good business plan for us. It's a good life plan for the readers. You want people to be healthy. As you know, Hopkins, we need to focus on what our patients can do to keep them out of the hospital, not just attract them to our hospital. It's all about prevention. We need to succeed. We succeed when our patients succeed. Keep the focus on the patient. Again, employees, he spoke a lot about keeping your employees creative, brainstorming, getting ideas, diversity of thought. Every staffer needs to feel secure enough to take risks. The candor, they have to be honest. They have, you can't make people afraid to fail. You want a lot of ideas. And if something's not going to work, you want to find out as soon as you can. So this is a nice segue into the last couple of speakers that we're going to focus more on who our patients are and how that's a changing patient population. This is Whitney Fishman-Zember. She was a senior partner at the, a media firm, so consumer technology, and she really looks at trends. And what she says is ultimately you, meaning us, need to carry, uh, care about social media because the patients and other healthcare providers care about social media. Your younger patients are all on social media, especially the millennials, but even you know patients in their 40s and 50s. These people are using Facebook. They're using social media. They need to get information there. So building a positive online relationship with our patients can help build positive offline relationships. She talks about social media being divided into three groups. You have social and professional networks and as radiologists and physicians, even technologists or administration in in medicine and healthcare. These are things like Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter. These are things where you can find friends and family and colleagues and share different types of content. So things like LinkedIn is a more pro professional network okay, that people can use, but also Facebook and YouTube and things like that, maybe a little bit more social network, but certainly someplace you can target where patients are. They're on Facebook. 
Should you, as an institution or a group, have a Facebook presence or a Twitter presence? You have to, you know, Hopkins is looking into that, our radiology department as well. There's things called microblogs, and that's where condensed amount of information is really focused, where users can be creative in content. These are things like Twitter and Vine. I don't even know personally what Vine is, but these are six-second videos. So this is where the younger, the millennials, are sitting. And you, as a healthcare organization, need to be where they are because that's how you impact their um healthcare by getting to them and not just, I'm not talking about marketing, but really changing. You want to give information to help them lead healthier lives or how to access healthcare if they need it. And then there's blogs, which are the most traditional of the social media platforms. This gives them a place where they convey their thoughts and ideas and also personal homepages where you can store content. So these are all the types of social media that people are using and that you as a group, how could you not have a presence in these areas? If you look at the relevance of social media to medicine and radiology, people use social media for every single aspect of their daily life. Why should it be any differently? Why would they behave differently? They're going to their phones, they're going to the web to look for information, including big sites like WebMD. They're trying to find information there, so you need to put the relevant information. People are adopting social media as tools for personal health, right? I have a Fitbit. You can use your phone, monitor your heart rate, your breathing rate. How are you sleeping? All these things are available. There is informational, emotional, and communicative value in social media, so it makes sense to be there. You could use it. Patients, how do they contact their families when they're in the hospital? Do you have a mechanism for that? Patients to patients. We, you can have sites where patients give their experience to other patients, help them through difficult times. This is what I did. These are like blogs and things like that. But also you need patients to healthcare providers. Is there a mechanism people could tell you about their experience when they leave? And I'm not talking about these Gallup polls, right? Like real time, when they leave, they fill out a survey and they tell you what they liked and didn't like. These millennials, they'll tell you what they don't like and you can then address those. Also, just because we're in healthcare, we have to be very careful of the risks of using social media in healthcare. Remember, misusing patient information is serious, right? Be very careful with your staff um, and your, your physicians and let them know that if they have these Facebook patients, these personal things on their own, they have to be very careful not to share any patient information. And then we have Tina Wells. And Tina Wells is CEO and founder of Buzz Marketing Group. So she's all about marketing, is an expert on millennials. So this new generation, what they need and where we're headed and how we have to address these people. So she says the rest of the economy is already wrestling with how to adjust their business models in order to appeal to the new generation of consumers. And there is little doubt that the medical world will have to make similar adjustment in the coming years. The retailers are way ahead of this. Addressing the millennials are very different from other generations. So what do we mean by millennials? So these are people born roughly 1980 to the year 2000. They have a unique mindset. If you have children of this age, you know what I'm talking about, right? They just think differently. It's very foreign to us. So these are the trends that they, she feels we need to understand. There's something called the maker's movement that the millennials see themselves not just as consumers, they see themselves impacting these organizations and these businesses and changing things. So they want to be an active partner. They want to be involved. They want to have input into, you know, what's going on in their own healthcare. They're much more proactive and much more involved than older generations. 
They're all about the web, tons of content on the web. They want to be able to find it on the web. They want to be able to maneuver and find out what your office hours are, how to schedule their appointment, all that. They want to be able to access that. And they compare, right? They won't buy a pair of jeans until they go on the web and look at 10 different places and what has the best value. So they're going to be shopping. And there's already sites out there that say where you can get a CAT scan the cheapest in your area. Okay, So you're going to have to pay attention to that. They're all about passion about net neutrality. They want online rights. It's all about the internet, free access to information. They're also, they talk about Amazonian access. The business needs to make their online and offline operations work seamlessly. Like you go into the store, you can buy the pair of pants, but you could actually buy a pair of pants online. They can send it to you and then you can return it to the store. It has to be a seamless process between your box store where your business is and your online presence. They're conscientious consumers. This is huge. It's not just about the product, it's about its origin and the creators as well. So this is something like um, Chipotle, right? They want to know that their business is environmentally conscious, that they're paying attention. How are they treating the animals? Where are they getting the vegetables? Are there pesticides? Are they giving back to the community? This is really important. They will go to businesses based on the social consciousness of those businesses. And are they recycling? Are they using antibiotics in the meat? All that is incredibly important to these people. And they look for those type of businesses. There's also the low-cost luxuries. So they're very brand-conscious and price-conscious. Like I said, they're going to be shopping the prices. They're gonna, if they're going to pay more, they're willing to pay more. But they want to make sure they're getting more for their money, that there's more better quality. So you have to pay attention. They're not just going to go to you because you have a name. They, you're going to have to prove to them you have a better quality than the next radiology group. This is also the millennials. Uh, this is empowerment of women. You see so much in the um, media now about women, strong women, powerful women, women really taking charge and taking their place and not staying in the background. So anything women, you know, women focused, you will see the media is focusing on now. So for us, this is mammography, breast imaging. Those things that are specifically related to women become more and more important. You want to spend a little bit more time on that. They're very self-conscious, and as she says here, selfie-conscious. You know, these, these people are always taking pictures of themselves. They tightly control what the world sees of them. So they're very cognizant of their online presence and what they're sharing with the outside world, and that's very important. They're very fit. They're focused on their health, right? They're focused on saying fit, but they want to know that it's worth it. So these people, for instance, the millennials, they'll pay $30 for a spin class and not think anything of it because they find value in that, okay? But they might not understand why they need to pay a $30 copay to get an x-ray, right? So you have to show that what you're providing is worth it because they will pay if they see value in it. And then they want to participate in charity. So this is philanthropy is what she says. They're happy. They don't just want to give their money. They want to participate in it, right? They want to run the race, go in the walk, raise the money themselves. They want to be a part of the charity, not just give their money to the charity. And I think that she gave a very good kind of synopsis of this new generation that is now, you know, in their 20s or in their 30s that are our consumers that we need to focus on. So the last couple minutes, I just want to summarize the take-home points. I know I went through a lot of things. From uh, Greenberg, it was, as a leader, only do 
what only you can do. Really look in your job, and even if you're a technologist or uh, the front staff, you have to see what you do best and function at the highest level that you can and hire good people and focus on the people to do the other things. Ed Catmull, candor is critical. You have got to have honest people that come to you and tell you when there's a problem and aren't afraid to tell you that there's an issue so that you can address it in a timely fashion. Hire the right people over and over. Top priority. Spend a lot of time hiring. Look at everybody out there. Hire the right people. Get rid of the bad people. Becker, what are we tolerating but we shouldn't? There's plenty. Make a list and start working on those things. People, then products, then clients. That was Kaplowitz. We do need to focus on the customer, the patient. But before we can do good customer service, we have to take care of our employees. Right? We have to make sure that our employees will hire the right people, train them well. Uh, Wolf, take care of the front of the house. Again, just don't be in your reading room if you're a radiologist. You need to be figuring out what happens in the rest of your business. What's happening in scheduling? What's happening in parking? What's happening on the phones? How are the people getting their reports? Those kind of things. Serve the reader, patient. Never forget the patient. Again, Phillips. You have to concentrate on your customer. Where are they? How are they getting their information? How are you going to touch them? Herbowski, so he was the um, president at UMBC, listen to different perspectives. Listen with an open mind. You need diversity of thought. You need to be talking to a lot of people. Don't have three people, your top three partners in your group, sitting in a room talking. You don't know what's going on. You need the young people. You need the technologists. You need the front people. You need to talk to everybody to get a diversity of thought and to figure out how your employees want to work, how your customers, what should your waiting rooms look like? Remember, you want to meet their needs, not just the way you used to do it. Zember Fishman, care about social media. Your patients do. Look at that. What's your group doing? What's your hospital doing? Everybody is on social media. Your practice needs to be on that, too. Also, um, the last one, Tina Wells, was pay attention to the millennials. They're coming up, right? These are people who have a lot of money. They look for quality. They look for social consciousness. They're looking and they're shopping, and they're trying to find their best value for their money, and they want to be involved, take an active role in their health care. Okay, thank you. I hope that you got some insight and some of these take-home points you'll be able to use in your practice. Thanks.